I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that does for comic book movies what Rihanna does for Luke Besson's costume budget. I'm Joe Cunningham, and joining me to help make sense of the comics behind the movies are... James Hunt. And it's just James Hunt. Yeah. <laughs> so, after after four people on our last podcast, we thought we'd slim things right down to just <laughs> the two of us. It's going to be um, a nice, intimate little chat about uh, Valerian, isn't it, James? Yeah, funnily, no one was free to record it with us. Yeah, we, we were, we were uh, hoping to get a guest uh, or... Like and Seb, Seb hadn't seen it yet, but we did worry that if we didn't bring you our thoughts on Valyria now, you wouldn't care. So we're going to bring you them now, while the film is still kind of fresh in the minds of the the audience that did see it. But I'm hoping that even if you didn't see it, it should be an interesting chat because it's uh, or an interesting podcast to listen to. We can we can describe Valyria to you, so you never have to watch it. <laughs> also, James, it's quite good, right? I loved it. Yeah, it's quite good. That's the thing. That's the secret about Valyrian that's no, that no one's selling you. It's I think quite it's good. this year's Pacific Rim. I, I yeah, okay. Um, even though this is a new release, uh, we're not going to have a spoiler-free and spoiler-filled section. We'll <laughs> just have the normal kind of podcast chat full of spoilers. So we'll warn you when we get to that. Uh, but before that, we'll discuss the latest comic book movie and TV news. Um, but before any of that, I'm going to ask James to explain, not a comic book concept, but a comic book person that, as a movie fan, and as someone who has almost entirely banned discussion of The Walking Dead on this podcast, I just don't understand. <laughs> James, can you explain Robert Kirkman to me, the man who is, is almost <laughs> like the, <laughs> the spectre that hangs over this comic book movie and TV podcast? Yeah. But w- all we the just... people who are like, why why don't you ever talk about The Walking Dead? Because that's based on the biggest comic around. Should we explain why we don't ever talk about The Walking Dead? Because uh, it's bad. I well, mean, it's, it's just bad. Yeah, so to, uh, I think probably by the time we started this podcast, it was already, what, four or five seasons in? Yeah, something like that. And I think all of us had probably watched it at some point and fallen off. I don't think Seb watched it because he's very squeamish. But That's I, true, isn't it? Yeah. I watched a bunch of season two on the plane to and from America and then thought, mm, it's not for me. I think season two is the worst, I probably. Yeah. Uh, I, 
I watched, I think I, I maybe got to like season five, like I caught up, like, or I, I stopped watching and caught up eventually. Um, but yeah, it just got, it got a bit, a bit too far past us. And I think it, I think it probably, I thought on the podcast, there's no point keeping updating about this show that we're not watching and that probably has its own dedicated podcasts to itself. everywhere (laughs) when we can't we we really can't add to that conversation yeah i mean there's the other half of the equation which is that robert kirkman's comics aren't actually that good like seb has a big thing about how robert kirkman is the most overrated creator in in the industry like that's maybe fair to an extent because he sells an absolute ton of comics and they're all sort of okay so did let's let's explain robert kirkman then so was was the walking dead the comic that made his name uh yes and no so what happened was he um he's your kind of standard indie success story in that he did a couple of small things that got kind of critical acclaim uh that got him a deal with um marvel to do marvel stuff and he kind of wrote some X-Men comics and uh, some Marvel team-up, I think it was. Right. Uh, he invented the third Ant-Man, like that kind of thing. Like, he did a bunch of sort of jobbing Marvel Universe comics that were received sort of fairly well. And throughout this time, he was kind of plugging away on The Walking Dead. And it kind of, as his profile built, so did the following of The Walking Dead. And eventually he sort of quit doing work for higher comics to concentrate on his creator own stuff and created an image imprint and eventually he was promoted to become one of the sort of he's the only image partner who wasn't there at the start basically yeah so all all of those people that created it back in the 90s and then he got would that would that be kind of like late 2000s that he was brought yeah yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Okay, and so since then, what's his deal been? He's created a bunch of other stuff for Image, as yeah. on top of on top of the Walking Dead, yeah, I which mean, is he's... which is still going and still publishing an issue a month. Yep, like yep. continues ha- to go and is doing very well and bringing lots of people into the comics industry, which you know that in itself is admirable. The comic itself, like I kind of every so often I go and read a couple of volumes of it just to catch up, and it's kind of still doing its thing and it's relatively good at what it's doing but it's not something that keeps me gripped yeah i read the first couple of volumes before we did this podcast and i thought yeah it's it's okay but back then it was like very much with a couple of characters swapped in and out very much kind of doing the plot of the tv show and mm-hmm. i mean yeah I didn't, I didn't really feel i didn't really feel the need to consume that story twice the status of the Walking Dead comic, I would say, is if you want spoilers for the TV show, come here. <laughs> I mean, my like my main criticism of the Walking Dead comic would be in its sort of 15-year run, it hasn't noticeably improved in any way. Or right. like, it's just doing the same thing it always did, which is like lots of talking, the occasional zombie, and then they have a sort of fairly good cliffhanger that makes you want to come back next month it's the thing that's always baffled me about how they're going to end the tv show because the tv show has to end eventually like it has to (laughs) and his his pitch seemed to me for the walking dead to be like 
So when you're watching a zombie movie and then the zombie movie ends, you're like, okay, well, that's that's great. But even those characters who just survived there, they're going to die eventually because they're in a world that's inhabited by zombies now. Like that's it's grim and it's unrelenting and there's no happy ending in a in a zombie thing, mm-hmm. which, OK, yeah, fair pitch. But then like in, a, in comics form, I imagine you can keep telling and telling that story. But on a TV show, like, surely you have to bring it to some kind of conclusion? Unless I mean... you just <laughs> Unless it just ends with every single character dead. For me, the natural conclusion of The Walking Dead, at least on TV, would be Rick dies because it's Rick's story, ultimately. So, oh, that's, if you want to end that, it, that's how you end it. That was another thing that turned me off the show. Anyone's expendable, apart from the most boring character. Oh, come on! <laughs> I mean, I'm fairly convinced that in the comic, Rick will die and be replaced by Carlos, the protagonist, eventually. Yeah. Eventually. But, you know. Again, I, I, I didn't need to do that, <laughs> that, that like, show the, either. The fact that I expect that, when it happens, if it happens, it will be testament to Robert Kirkman's predictability. <laughs> so what's what's his other stuff? What's he famed for? Because um, the reason we mention this, because his... Um, his entertainment company, his multi-platform entertainment company, Skybound Entertainment, has just signed a first look deal with Amazon, which means that uh, while he's his stuff has been going to AMC so far, and I think he he did is Outcast his thing as well. That, yes, yeah. Uh, I'm not I'm not sure whether that was AMC as well, but like him signing this deal with Amazon for first look stuff seems significant given the. Given the given the fact that The Walking Dead is the biggest show on television, yeah. So, sort of, let, uh, let's see. The main things are um, Invincible is probably the biggest one, which is his kind of his attempt to do a sort of trad superhero universe that was all self-contained in one title. Um, okay. I think that's finished now. Uh, again, that had its own fairly big following, but it never quite blew up in the way The Walking Dead did. Um, and that had a bunch of spin-offs. I think Tech Jacket was a spin-off of that. Um, Guarding the Globe, or Guardians of the Globe. Guardians of the Globe, yeah, correct. Yeah, that was it. Okay. Um, yeah. What else did he do? Uh, Thief of Thieves. Is there anything in? Is there anything in there that like jumps out and in in a way that The Walking Dead does, and you go, okay, that's the that's the show that Amazon have signed this deal for, or that's the, that's I mean, the idea. Not especially like things like thief of thieves is probably the one where you could go, well, that's that concept is built in to be a, a TV show. Cause it's about a thief who, th- who steals from other thieves to sort of make up for his past. Okay. Yeah. I could see that. So there's, that's like a fairly obvious network cell. Yeah. Um, Invincible is the biggest thing other than The Walking Dead, at least in terms of scale and characters and longevity. Um, I can't really see what else. Like That's the thing. There's nothing massive that he's done as a creator own person. He's not like Ed Brubaker where everything he does is amazing and has a great high concept that could translate. It's like it's mostly spinoffs of Invincible that I'm aware of. Is he though? Is he a? Uh, is he capable of being kind of like an ideas machine, even where he can say like he can go to to uh, Amazon and say, "Look, I've had this idea, and it's this guy, and he used to be a cop, 
Um, and now he's an invisible warthog and he fights a secret army of bees. And they go, <laughs> great, we'll say, Robert, from the mind of Robert Kirkman, invisible bee hunter. And that's the that's the show. <laughs> uh, to an extent, like, the thing is, he isn't, like, as much as people criticise Mark Miller, Robert Kirkman is no Mark Miller. Right. <laughs> so he doesn't have a huge catalogue of elevator pitches under his belt. He's got like four or five relatively big things and a lot of small things that didn't really do well. Okay, well, I spot an opportunity to segue into our news section, James. <laughs> <laughs> because comic book movie and TV news section now, you guys. Um, Miller World, Mark Miller's production company, has been acquired by Netflix. So this is this is different to the Robert Kirkman stuff. This is bigger than the Robert Kirkman stuff. <laughs> Netflix has never acquired another company before. This is the first acquisition in their 20-year history. Um, they've obviously spent a lot of money kind of uh, making original content in the last few years, but they've actually gone and said to Mark Miller, we want to buy your company, and he said, sure which means that basically every Mark Miller comic that hasn't already been sold to a to another studio or whatever for development is now in Netflix's domain. Um, so you would imagine stuff that's like already been adapted, like uh, Kick-Ass and Kingsman, um, will continue to be kind of, you know, owned elsewhere for the, for the time being. But... Uh, a bunch of the other stuff that hasn't that hasn't been sold off because I know like a couple of his big ideas have been have been developed elsewhere for the last couple of years or even in development now, um, but everything else and everything that he generates in the future becomes Netflix owned. Mm-hmm. So any any future Mark Miller comic is potentially there for a Mar- for a Netflix adaptation. And that's interesting because as Seb jokes when he wrote this up for the website earlier in the week, Mark Miller's comics tend to seem like pitches for TV shows or movies <laughs> to begin with. And it's almost as if the comic is a minor inconvenience <laughs> on the way to on the way to making that. To the point that we've had Mark Miller adaptations released <clears throat> kind of or at least kind of like be filming bef- before the comic has even come out. <laughs> that was the case with Kickass, wasn't it? Uh, I don't think it was actually filming before it came out. But I think the, I think the script had it been was, written yeah, by sorry. Matthew Vaughan before Matt Miller. Had it was before it had completed the comic. Yeah, that was definitely the case. Yeah. So this is everything you just said about Robert Kirkman. We are saying that like Matt Miller is like uh, whether you want to say like. There is there is a higher level of quality there. I don't know whether you would argue that. I don't know what your your general thoughts are on Mark Miller's stuff, but certainly in terms of their saleability or in terms of kind of ideas that almost immediately make sense for adaptation, this seems like a potential goldmine for Netflix. Depending yeah. on how, how much <laughs> they've paid for it. I mean, the thing about Mark Miller is that I think he's a much better businessman than he is writer. And a lot of comic creators tend to be a little bit sort of, uh, I don't want to say jealous, like they are kind of disdainful of Mark Miller's work because it gets a lot more attention than better things. And I think a lot of that is because he has made the decision to 
run his comics output in a way that maximizes the profit making opportunities yeah he seems like like he you don't hear mark miller make a statement that's not filled with hyperbole yeah well he's he's got this thing every comic's about to change the world isn't it yeah i mean he's he stated in the past like that he want he always wanted to be the next Stan Lee, and he takes that to a very cynical extreme in that he is a relentless self-promoter and to the point where like Stan Lee kind of exaggerated and filled things with sort of enthusiasm and hyperbole, whereas Mark Miller tends to just sort of lie about how big things are. <laughs> and like, like he, you know, he made a big deal about how he was on at Fox to sort of advise on the Fantastic Four movie or whatever. And that was to, to make himself seem super important and what actually happened was i think what like josh trank gave him one phone call or something or like maybe even simon kimberg like someone was, spoke to him once there was a time wasn't there that it sounded like mark miller had been hired to be the kevin feige of fox yeah and that's that's because mark miller was the guy telling those stories and like yeah. leading people to believe that and like similarly um the way he says things like, oh, you know, the new Wolverine film is based on my comic. And it's like any cursory glance will tell you that it's not. Like the similarities between the comic and the film are so cursory and superficial. But, yeah, but... you know, he'll he'll repeat that over and over until people agree with him. So, In terms of his actual stuff, though, what he always strikes me at is, as is someone who is great at coming up with a high concept to build around. Yeah, and and that the, you know whether that's a high concept that he's already turned into a comic and has kind of gone you know well or badly or whatever, but potentially even just these high concepts that he can now say in a Netflix meeting and Ted Sarandos can go, that's really interesting. You should talk to showrunner X who we've worked with before, or you mm-hmm. should talk to to this screenwriter or you should talk to that person because Netflix is in the business of movies and TV as well. And, you know, that have got the freedom to kind of like commission shows of, you know, different running times, different lengths that they can, they can work around his, they can work around his crazy ideas and potentially, (laughs) you know, put them in, put them in the hands of people like Matthew Vaughn has been able to uh, Mm -hmm. put them in the hands of people who can kind of, see them through a lens that maybe isn't quite as twisted as Mark Miller's can be. Because, <laughs> I mean, that's when you talk about Mark Miller wanting to be the modern-day Stan Lee. He's the modern-day Stan Lee if you accept that, like, kids were reading in the 50s and, like, sick adults are reading comics now. That's not... <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> if that's the case. Um, <laughs> what of Mark Miller's stuff, then? So we talked about Kirkman's stuff. Uh, Mark Miller must have a bunch of stuff that is more... Uh, more suited to Netflix. I also the idea there seemed to be an idea that potentially there'd be like a Mark Miller cinematic universe on Netflix that like there there would almost be a possibility to link these titles in a way. Uh, I'm not so sure about that because the concepts are all over the place. I right. mean, it, it's not entirely impossible that you could have like X character turn up in another one, but uh, I'd be surprised. Like. So what what series are in there? Like they release a little trailer that has the all the sort of Miller World comics in. Like the obvious ones missing were the Secret Service, which is clearly still with Matthew Vaughan's company, uh, Marv, is yeah. it? Yeah. 
yeah. and Kickass, which presumably has not the deal on that hasn't expired yet. Um, interestingly, Wanted was included in the list of comics, so oh, really? that suggests that might be ripe for another try. Um, and Nemesis, which I think Tony Scott was developing. Yes, that um, was definitely the case. Yeah. yeah, so that was in the list, which that that's the elevator pitch of. What if Batman was uh, the villain? Yeah. Yeah, fine. Okay, so, you know, that's a, a story about the police trying to catch Batman. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's <laughs> that sounds like something that you could do well on Netflix. Yeah. Sure. Um, this this little this little teaser that um, that Netflix put out. So they had uh, uh, American Jesus in there, Jupiter's Legacy, <laughs> Hook, Crononauts, Empress, Reborn, MPH, Jupiter Circle, Superior, Wanted, Supercrux, Starlight, Nemesis. There's a lot there. Yeah, and they've all sort of had one series, maybe two. Um... I've got to be honest, I haven't read many of them because I sort of decided I was, you know, I'd had enough after Kick-Ass finished. Yeah. Um, there seems to be a lot of deconstructing of um, superhero stuff in there. Like, Huck is a is a Superman take, isn't it? Yeah, Huck is a Superman take. Uh, I think Starlight is a kind of, what, if Flash Gordon was old, uh, Jupiter's legacy is like... Kingdom Come sort of old superheroes versus new superheroes. So, you know, that's it's something Mark Miller's been interested in for his entire career. I, I think I think th- this the the Kirkman and the Miller stuff next to each other is um fascinating for the future of comic book adaptations, and particularly because it seems like the stuff that we're talking about these two creators dabbling in the most is superhero stuff, and it mm-hmm. seems like it seems like everyone now wants a piece of a superhero universe or superhero characters wherever they can find them. Mm-hmm. Because we, we've seen that the um, the Valiant uh, adaptations <laughs> seem like they're actually happening, seem, yeah. like they're, seem like they're getting closer and closer to being a thing. Um, you know, this is Amazon and Netflix locking down a little corner of it each for themselves. You know, mm-hmm. may, maybe in the future having to, you know, maybe the Marvel stuff becomes less of, uh, maybe it's something that Netflix doesn't want to spend the big the big money on themselves if they've got the if if they've got their own version of it. But yeah, it's uh it's a trend that's not slowing down, and it seems like uh, if you've got a good superhero idea, boys and girls, write it down. You don't even need to take it to Marvel or Netflix anymore. You just need to <laughs> put it on a piece of paper, send it to all the Hollywood studios, and they might pay you £10 for it. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, well, we talked a lot about those, so I want to blast through the rest of the comic book movie. Uh, well, it's just movie news from here on in, after that, all that TV stuff. Um, <laughs> James, let's briefly talk about the images of Cable and Domino uh, that we've seen released for Deadpool 2. Uh, thumbs up, thumbs down on Josh Brolin and Daisy Beats as Cable and Domino. Thumbs up in both cases. Like, very happy, except for the lack of shoulder pads on Cable. <laughs> Otherwise, um, very happy. We saw someone tweet, uh, someone tweet, I, can't, I, can't, I don't have it in front of me, but one of our listeners tweeted to us saying, um, did we think that they were going for a, maybe a familial vibe with uh, Cable and <clears throat> Deadpool? Ryan Reynolds calls him Uncle, your crazy uncle from the future or something in his tweet, and 
this cable. I thought he did look a little bit like scarred Ryan Reynolds. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and so potentially, could they be rewriting it that there is a there's a relation, a, a, an actual uh, blood relation between Wade Wilson and uh, Nathan Summers? I would not put it past them. I mean, the thing the thing is like. Personally, I think there is more comedy mileage out of trying to untangle Cable's comic book history within the context of the movies. Yeah. But given that Cable, like part of Cable's status is he's one of the X-Men from the future. Like, there's no reason it couldn't, he couldn't be Cable, uh, Deadpool from the future. Like, that would be fine. Yeah. And I'm just pumped. I'm, I'm more excited, to be honest, about Zazie Beats as Domino. She, that... The, the costume looks great <laughs> yeah. she looks um she looks fun and i mean I, i've said before i love her in atlanta and i can't quite believe that she is going to be in this big comic book movie as like major major character um and it's great and as you was as you were saying james no one has kicked up a fuss this time about um a black actress being cast in a white role because presumably all the like <laughs> white nerds who normally kick up a fuss about that never imagined themselves as Domino to begin with mm-hmm. um, so they don't care the way they would if it yeah. was uh, a Johnny Storm or a I mean, it's Parker. very it's very strange how the like this has to be comics accurate people don't show up for like if Domino is black or if Drax isn't green it's only when Peter Parker is black that they get upset yeah yeah um and also, I, I got excited by the news that um, Atlanta Season 2 might be starting filming very soon. So uh, all of this Star Wars and Deadpool stuff might not be getting in the way of my Atlanta Season 2. Which, uh, <laughs> best news in the world. Um, okay, uh, Hellboy, the re- well, Hellmo- Hellboy Rise of the Blood Queen, as it was going to be called, has been uh, renamed just Hellboy, uh, which... <laughs> Is is great news for your future DVD That's, shelves. I suspect they kind of sobered up and went, uh, actually. <laughs> so, um, Ian McShane has been cast as uh, Professor Broom, the John Ian Hurt McShane? Role. Yep, uh, Lovejoy himself. I is look going forward to, to Hellboy going Professor antiquing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it, it, Ian McShane, that's, uh, he's obviously... Um, I was going to say relevant to our interest in American Gods at the moment, but just outside of our interests, I think. Yep. <laughs> in terms of not being a comic, even though it feels like it, it could have been. Although I think it's been it's been adapted in comic form recently, hasn't it? Mm, uh, I honestly couldn't tell you, but I'd be very surprised if anything by Newer Gaiman existed which hadn't been adapted into a comic. <laughs> um, and then Mila Jovovich has, uh, is in talks to play the film's villain. Presumably, Lee, Lee that Blood Queen... That we were talking about. Yeah, Lilu Dallas multipass herself. I, I'm interested what this film's going to look like visually. Um, what Neil Marshall does with it. Because, like, all of the casting doesn't seem a million miles away from the kind of stuff that... Like, I, if you'd have told me that Hellboy 3 was being made and they'd cast Mila Jovovich and Ian McShane in roles in that film, I'd have gone, yeah, that makes sense. Yep. That feels like... That feels of a piece with the previous two. So, uh... Yeah, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that adaptation. But uh, yeah, my my gut feeling is that it's going to all look a lot cheaper. It would be hard to ape Del Toro style, <clears> wouldn't it? Yeah, I think more sort of urban fancy practical effects. Yeah, 
Yeah. Uh, but also, they've been talking about cinematic universe there, and while that does make me raise an eyebrow, I guess the. I, I in fact, I think it was Mignola who was talking cinematic universe specifically, and. I guess at least those Hellboy comics do seem to have sport. You know, there's spin-offs here, there, and everywhere, isn't there? That Mignola's wrote, so mm-hmm. that wouldn't be the most insane thing to think that Hellboy, if successful, could launch a franchise. Nope. Um, and then the last piece of news um, I want to talk about is the Venom movie because Riz Ahmed is in talks to join the project. Um, Riz Ahmed, uh, someone we've spoken about in the podcast before, as someone who would be uh, <laughs> kind of on on our like casting wish lists for a number of roles. I think I put him forward as my Captain Britain suggestion, um, and also I've said for years that he'd make a great James Bond, and no one seems to have, uh, have bought into that idea but me. <laughs> um, but Riz Ahmed, uh, most people were known from Rogue One last year. Um, he was great in Nightcrawler, his first kind of big American film a couple of years back. Um, and then I think Shifty was the film that I first spotted him in, uh, a British film uh, directed by Aaron Creevy, who then also directed him in Welcome to the Punch. Uh, oh, oh, no, yeah. he didn't direct him in Welcome to the Punch. He also directed Welcome to the Punch. It was Riz Ahmed was in the <coughs> screening that I went to see <laughs> Welcome to the Punch for. And that confused that confused my little brain. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, um, I, I think he's great in Four Lions, and uh, yes, Four I was Lions, very, of course. very pleased when he showed up in the OA. So anything he turns up in, I'm instantly more interested. Yeah, and, and well, and, and I guess a bunch of people know him for his rapping now, and he's uh, shown up on the Hamilton mixtape more recently. Um, in terms of who he might be playing in um, the Venom movie... <laughs> Uh, apparently he will not be playing Carnage, but that does not mean that Carnage is not in the project. Uh, that's according to Justin Kroll of Variety, who was, uh, who was writing about this news. Um, so it sounds like Carnage is going to be in the Venom movie. (laughs) Well, if you're going to, if you're doing a Venom movie where Venom is a protagonist, like Carnage is the obvious villain, so. Yeah, and then, um, but it's said that he will, quotes play a popular Marvel character. Off the top of your head, James. Ugh, Venom, Venom, Venom movie, popular Marvel character, Riz Ahmed. I mean, I can't think of an obvious character who... Like, It's sort of difficult because I don't know which version of Venom they're doing and that would clue me in as to which character from the supporting cast they would want. Sort of right, the prop- here's, here's, here's what I think. Well, I think... I think Tom Hardy's playing Eddie Brock. Yeah. From what we've heard so far. Mm-hmm. I'm saying either alternate universe or future uh, Riz Ahmed is Agent Venom. He's a grown up Tony Revolori. Yeah, I mean, that was that was where yeah. I was about to Without racially profiling, obviously. Yeah. But like it... I mean, that would, that would imply some kind of connection between the Sony-verse and the Marvel-verse without actually outright stating it, wouldn't it? And and it would ha- you know it would get around having to have Tom Holland in the film. <laughs> said it in the future. Said it in the future. <laughs> I was gonna say it would mean that it, the film was set in like twenty thirty, or an alternate universe. One one or the other. Yeah, I mean, alternative. Just in one, it just in one scene. I don't know. Donald Glover swings through as Miles Morales, aged thirty five or something. <laughs> I was gonna. I mean, I I kind of think maybe he could be the Prowler. But if they hadn't, again, if they hadn't been setting that up elsewhere, it, it depends whether the characters who are in the Marvel 
films are fair game for Sony solo projects. I mean, the problem is, like, Eddie Brock and Flash Thompson have no real supporting cast of their own. Like, they're all tied up with... Oh, he could... Like, he could be a Daily Bugle journalist, because they've got the Daily Bugle, haven't they? So... Yeah, was he was he someone we pitched for Hobgoblin at one point? It's, it's possible. Yeah, he could be Robbie, John, could be Robbie John, Robertson. John Boyega was our favourite for that though. Yeah. Well, but if maybe if we uh maybe if we just stuff this Spider Man film with lots of people from the Star Wars franchise at present. <laughs> um, after uh after Felicity Jones went the other way. Um, <laughs> right, I, I'm sure we'll I'm sure we'll find out soon kind of a bit more what's going on with that Venom movie, but I that is it's intriguing, and I wouldn't be surprised if Sony don't know yet what they're doing exactly. <laughs> He's a popular Marvel character. Who? <laughs> From a very short list of characters they can use, like... <laughs> yeah, there's, there's I not... I don't buy not, it. <laughs> no. Okay, right, well, we'll move on now to our spoiler-filled discussion of Valerian... And the city of a thousand planets is that is that right? That is right. It's like um, it's like Coruscant in the Star Wars movies. I'm referencing all the things we don't normally talk about, James. <laughs> Walking Dead, Star Wars, Coruscant is a planet. It's a city that's a planet. It's a cloud city, isn't it? Cloud city of Coruscant. That sounds like something that's a thing. I think cloud city is a different thing. <laughs> I mean, I I know a lot about Star Wars, as you can tell. <laughs> Coruscant's a, a a city that covers them. It's a planet that's just one city. That makes even more or less sense than Valyrian. Let's find out which one of those two things it is after we take a listen to the trailer. This mission is a simple in and out. Agent Valyrian, you'll be running solo. I only work with my partner. Hi. We're a team. Let's go. Running nearly 20 minutes late. Yeah, well, time flies when you're having fun. Welcome to Alpha. The city of a thousand planets. Where for hundreds of years, Every species has shared their knowledge and their intelligence with each other. It's paradise. Amazing. After centuries of peace and prosperity, an unknown force wants to destroy all we have created. Agents Valerian and Laureline, you have less than 10 hours to find the threat and eliminate it. How to get to work. The whole universe is after us. We need the two of you to be the guardians of our future. Sure you know what you're doing. 
Valerian, trust me. How much time left? Our destiny is in your hands. I taught him how to do that. Okay, Luke Besson's 2017 movie Valyrian, James. Um, could uh, could I ask you to start us off by doing me a favour and just <laughs> describe the opening sequence of this movie? <laughs> so the opening sequence, it starts off as a kind of Apollo 13 thing where it's like, here are humans going to space and establishing the uh, International Space Station. Yeah. And so it goes from this very sort of grounded, realistic portrayal of space flight. And it shows you like the Americans meeting the Russians and the Chinese and like all these nations coming together. And there's this really interesting motif where like the the new astronauts are kind of nervous and sort of, you know, anticipating the arrival of the other ones. And they sort of shake hands and everyone smiles and it does that and it it shows you all these nations coming together like every nation of earth meeting and it has the more shaking hands and then as the space station grows in a kind of time lapse and the space the technology gets more complicated sort of aliens start showing up and they they shake hands with the humans and everyone smiles and the aliens get more and more outlandish and the technology gets more and more crazy and eventually the space station becomes so big uh, with aliens and humans living on it that it is said to be causing trouble with Earth's gravitational pull. So they fire it off into the distant sort of void of space and it becomes the city of a thousand planets. Right. Okay. That's good. So basically I turned up a couple of minutes late to the cinema and I wanted to figure out how much I missed. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, I was going to say, did you, did you turn up during the kind of, bizarre dream sequence no no so i did i turned up and there were hands being shaken but it was already aliens and so i kind of uh i i there was i was like okay so i i figure i've not missed too much but oh, I so, uh, yeah to i should point out this happens while the entirety of uh david bowie's a space oddity is playing yes uh like it's a three or four minute sequence that is set entirely to that song yeah and it's uh very on the nose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so then, so then, we we obviously haven't met met our protagonists yet. Um, from from the trailers and the marketing, you will know that's uh, Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne. And you think, all right, okay, so we're now flashing into the future uh, or into the the present, as uh, in terms of the movie. Um, but we don't. We go to this weird, trippy dream sequence that you were talking about, which looked to me like a a, a, a mashup of Avatar and Super Mario Sunshine. <laughs> you remember yeah. Super Mario Sunshine? Yeah. Isle of Delfino with all those little... <clears throat> it know, is the... very much like if the Avatar people went on holiday and took a lot of magic mushrooms, it would look like this. Yeah, um... It's it's very odd. Um, I kind of I kind of dug the visuals of it though because it it felt almost um, I was going to say dreamlike, which is ironic, um, <laughs> but it 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 feels like it feels like that kind of like 
it feels like Avatar in terms of like what the characters look like and this world being just this gorgeous lush landscape, but it feels more like a construct than what James Cameron does with Pandora. And I think that's that's obviously because James Cameron is, I think, a, a more accomplished filmmaker and a more accomplished builder of worlds than Luke Besson. <laughs> um, but also, it it kind of felt like that that's almost what Besson was going for. This kind of this kind of like that's the thing. It, isn't it, it? Yeah. needed to feel it 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 kind of needed to feel slightly heightened in terms of what what a paradise it was. Yeah, and, and it's how, like this, and how gorgeous it was. This hyper real like fantasy sci fi world. Where like there is no pain and everyone is living in complete bliss and like all the colors are amped up to eye searing levels, and like they all they seem to do with their life is like, you know, walk on the beach and languish in the sun and collect these like incredible pearls that have like every color of the rainbow in, and they t- they've got skin that kind of like sparkles and when they touch yeah, it's their like foreheads it like. Yeah, and they live in they live in giant seashells, and they wash their face with faces with these pearls. And then there's a little creature who, if they feed up anything too, but they feed the pearl to, it will then kind of like secrete hundreds of the things, uh, <laughs> like a, like a replicator. Um, <laughs> and like and then, the the thing I like most about that sequence is that it goes on for so long. Yeah, like it yeah. lasts like a good. I, I, haven't timed it but it feels like it's 10 minutes before they get to the point which is that suddenly like the sky cracks open and like everything gets fucked up by all these spaceships crashing on it because it feels like in in a a streamlined film all of this all of this stuff would uh, maybe you'd open the movie and there'd be these people walking around this gorgeous um this gorgeous beach and within 30 seconds you would see <laughs> the things fall from the sky everything would burn we'd then cut to the start of the movie which is the which is the you know you probably wouldn't even do all the handshakes and stuff you'd kind of exposition <laughs> you'd exposition that away in the first scene and that that's that's all you'd really need um yeah like it, it feels like Luke Besson is really taking his time and indulging but I kind of loved that he was doing even at that point yeah no i did i spent the whole of that first sequence just in utter sort of glee at how like like it's a the word for it is naff like it is so kind of overwrought and like the cgi is so overcooked and like the point it's trying to make is so it's like hammering home every second for minute upon minute is designed to make you think wow this is some kind of futuristic paradise and it's like you could have done that in seconds, but Luke Besson went, "No, I want I want you to spend time with these guys. Like you, you have to live this paradise to understand it." Yeah, yeah. Um, and we should we should point out uh, context around this film. Um, it it did receive some disastrous reviews. I mean, I think we both kind of like it. I think we're probably going to acknowledge a bunch of its flaws as we go through. <laughs> um, but it it got panned by some uh, outlets immediately. And this was privately privately financed by Luke Besson through his EuropaCore studio, and um, apparently had a two hundred million dollar budget, which is enormous. It's it is, currently it's, it's the it's most expensive European film ever made. Yeah, it's currently sitting on about eighty million worldwide gross. Um, it's 
pretty much done at the US box office. Uh, it's doing okay business in France. Y- you would you would expect it might creep up to a hundred million worldwide, but then you know, a movie doesn't just cost what it costs to yeah. make it. Then you normally have to kind of for a big movie like this you're hoping to kind of at least triple the budget so like for example batman v superman dawn of justice was a film that got close to a billion dollars and was at at some points people were wondering whether it would even break even um (laughs) because it was because of the if nothing else it's the marketing that costs the money isn't it like the marketing Mm. is usually the budget on top of the movie you would have what I, I think Luke Besson would have been hoping for something in the range of six to eight hundred million worldwide for this to be anything uh, like a like success. which is insane in itself because like he's never done that many as it is has he like I, no, I haven't I, checked I, I, what I, Fifth Element did but I don't think it was that much. It's crazy, but like he, and he privately financed it, so he just he kind of went went off and and found the money, found investors who were willing to willing to back him on this, and yeah, uh, and then lost it all. Like he is. It's been catastrophic for him financially. But this probably was the point in his career to do it. Um, <laughs> like at, coming what, off... Because he had some goodwill to spend up. Well, no, because yeah, well, basically Lucy, I think... So here we go. Lucy made $460 million worldwide. Okay. Um, now, obviously, it has Scarlett Johansson in it. You can say she's a movie star, but that didn't do the business for Ghost in the Shell earlier this year. So... You know, Lucy was kind of like somewhat of a critical success, um, and that was probably how he was able to, off the back of that, if he said, "Look, I spent X amount on Lucy, and it's made all this money worldwide. I've got this like comic book property uh, that I can adapt, and um, it's it's gonna, uh, you know, like look at all these crazy ideas I've got for it, and then <laughs> remember the Fifth Element, which everyone loves, yeah." Yeah. Yeah. So so yeah, you can you can kind of understand it. Still two hundred million dollars, it just seems like an insane amount of money that has been spent on this film. And then again I can see the argument because you look at all the Marvel movies and you go like, okay, they've cast kind of nobodies a, a few times that like not, wide audience don't really know about. Um, and and kind of a lot of big movie <clears throat> franchises now. Like you look at the you look at the Planet of the Apes movies, which have made three successful films there. And like the biggest name that's probably been in any three any of the three of those was James Franco. <laughs> I guess is that is that right? Is that that's yeah, fair, right? Like, what Woody Harrelson? But I think Frank I think Franco right now is anyway. So, but then his leads are Cara Delevingne, who is you know a well known person, not particularly a well known actress. Again, maybe coming off the back of being the villain in a high-grossing movie in Suicide Squad, or maybe she had, the, um, and and then and then Dane DeHaan, who again feels like someone who's not really ever got to the level where you go, okay, that that guy can sell a movie. Like I don't, I don't even know whether Dane DeHaan's of the level that if you see him in a supporting role, you go like, you go like, oh yeah, well now I I want to see that movie more. Yeah, he's he's certainly at the level of oh, it's the guy from that thing. Yes, yeah. to see him as a lead, like it was surprising. I mean, and what, especially a, a lead, a lead that I'm looking at here and going, oh, is this character supposed to be Han Solo? That that feels like the that feels like the. <laughs> it's funny, the, the... funny you should mention that. 
go on. Come on, James. You're going to explain some stuff to me now, aren't you? Yeah. So the comic book for Darren and Loreline, um, there were accusations when Star Wars came out that they had lifted a lot of the story and imagery from basically from that comic like there are some surprising coincidences in particularly the design work Um, i think i think it's been acknowledged that valerian was a an influence on star wars (laughs) like like i i think that's like an an open secret i don't think there's i don't think people have denied that have they i don't think i don't think George george lucas in particular has never admitted it as far as i'm aware but right, okay. the similarities are kind of uncanny. But, I mean, Lucas was drawing from all over, wasn't he? I mean, because this, this film kind of reminds me a little bit of John Carter, which was <laughs> this this film that kind of Star Wars and a bunch of other um, big kind of sci-fi franchises and sci-fi stories since the publication of the Burroughs books, um, you know, had, had taken a lot of stuff from John Carter. Mm-hmm. But then it's... It, felt like by the time that John Carter came around that well <laughs> seen it all. all of yeah. all of the good stuff had been taken and done more interestingly elsewhere and there was almost some kind of expectation that because that this was the the original text that everything else had drawn from the audiences would still care about John Carter as a character or as an idea like oh it influenced Star Wars and all that stuff uh, okay I'll go I'll go with Star Wars <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the thing, like, the strange thing about Valerian is that it's, uh... Okay, I'm gonna... So, like, Valerian is a kind of long-running comic uh, that's been going since the 60s. I I don't think it's being published anymore. Um, Wikipedia says it 67 to 2010 was the run. Yeah, so there you go. And they had, like, what, 20-something volumes, 20-odd volumes of it? And they were kind of long comics as well, sort of 60 to 80 pages each, I think. Um... And it's kind of a big deal in France that, which has its own kind of very developed comics industry that doesn't have a massive crossover with the sort of Western, Western with the American tradition. Um, so you can sort of see how they went. Well, Valerian has had an influence on sci-fi, and it's you know this huge property that's never been done outside of France. Like, let's give it its moment on the stage. Has it ever been a big... I mean, have you have you read any of it? I have, but only as a result of learning that it was going to be made into a movie. Right, okay. So has it ever been a big deal outside of France? Has it ever been... Is it one of those that has crossed over to an extent? Is it <clears> something that, like, maybe Star Wars fans have sought out because they've heard... No, again, like the first time I ever learned that it existed was when I saw sort of a web page, like probably 10 years ago, saying, like, look at all the stuff that this comic ripped off, that Star Wars ripped off this comic. Um, right. And it's not like even the creators, like, there are some French creators, like, I'm thinking specifically of Mobius, who did cross over into uh, American comics, but the the people behind Valerian, that didn't happen with either. So it's kind of. The the French comics market is huge in France, but it doesn't tend to leave Europe. So, having said all of that, actually watching the film, <laughs> beyond Dane DeHaan feeling like a Han Solo, or feeling like the character as written should come off as a Han Solo, I don't think Dane DeHaan has 
got that in him. <laughs> I, d- I just don't think he's an inherently cool guy. And the and the the film is kind of like I I buy him more as the the nerdy kind of kid from Amazing Spider-Man or Chronicle than I do as this kind of intergalactic womanizer. Like he's well, this... he, he's not he's not Chris Pratt like and he's definitely not Harrison Ford. No, I mean this is the weird thing though. Like the text of the movie is that like oh he's a womanizing guy who who's like a you know roguish and it's like the actual everything that's in the movie treats that as if that's his past but doesn't actually show you it yes yeah absolutely so like you're constantly being told he's this guy but everything you see on screen tells you otherwise he's got a swagger he's got a self-confidence yeah but that's because but that's because he's good at being a secret agent which he manifestly is yeah, but and and again, again, kind of like good in the Han Solo way that like you can under you can undercut that good. Like he's he's gonna be like potentially too cocky in certain situations. Also interesting that the the comic's called Valerian and Loreline. Yeah, and yet the movie's just called Valerian and the City of a Thousand Planets. But like, it didn't feel it like it felt like in the marketing. Like I mean, yeah, if you watched if you, if you watch the trailers, you can probably hear him being referred to as Valerian, but. Valyrian in the City of a Thousand Planets doesn't to me sound like this bloke and a sci-fi thing. It sounds like Valyrian could be the name of a ship. Mm-hmm. It could be the name of a sci-fi concept. It could be the name of anything. It's not a bloke's name. Um, <laughs> so it's interesting that they kept that in there. Like, I mean, it's... the thing that surprises... Yeah, they could have called this the City of a Thousand Planets and it probably would have done as well. Or like... they could have called it Valyrian and Lorelei. Well, that's the thing. Like, I think this movie is Valyrian and Lorelei because the whole film, like everything in the film... Is the two of them. Is about the two of them, yeah. Like, even when they're apart, the point is they're apart and it's about how they operate to get back to one another. Like, it's all... Like, if the film had been called Valerian and Loreline, I think it would have sort of snapped the themes into slightly sharper focus. It's one of the things that I really liked about this movie. I kept thinking that this was a film that was going to sideline its female lead mm-hmm. or was going to keep like almost putting it her in peril and having him go and save her. Um and I think it I think that the way it does feel a little bit like Star Wars. Uh, and <laughs> I'll try and get this out of the way early because I think Luke Besson does it does make such a film that feels so unique visually and tonally that it ne- while watching it it doesn't feel like a star wars film it's just afterwards you can kind of go oh well i see how that and that is is star wars e anyway mm-hmm. um the kind of like star wars is a film particularly the first film and i think that they've all kind of followed this this trajectory of there is like Every five to ten minutes, there's a new goal that needs to be accomplished. Okay, we need to do this thing. We need to get from point A to point B. And once we got to point B, something else will happen, which means we've got to do that now. And now we've got to do that. And now we've got to do that. And that's why you kind of like the first A New Hope, episode four, whatever you want to call it, Star Wars, is like task after task after task after task after task. And you've got these little individual set pieces, one after another. And that's what Valyrian feels like. Mm -hmm. But you've kind of got... Their first big mission, which he's doing the mission, but she's doing a side mission and eventually is the one who bails him out when he's in trouble. Yeah. Um, they're then together and um, 
like, then he goes off on a big thing and you think that, like, I, I thought that there was going to be a point in the movie where, okay, we're following him now and we're not going to see Loreline for, like, half an hour or whatever. But instead, we completely cut away from his POV and we then follow Loreline for the next 20 minutes as she goes on a mission by herself to get him back. Mm-hmm. And then she then goes missing and he has to go on a mission to get her back. <laughs> but we're kind of still cutting, at least then we're still cutting to and from her. Mm-hmm. And then kind of like the end sequence, like the, the the kind of big stuff at the end, they're both there and they're both as active as one another in, in the final stuff. And like, yeah. she's const- she constantly has stuff to do. Um, I don't think either of them are partic- particularly complex characters, but I, I thought that like, I came out of the movie and thought, oh, do you know what? Like, that makes sense that that was based on something called Valerian and Loreline because they both get stuff to do. Um, and they're not afraid to, like, let her be as impressive, if not more impressive than him. She's not playing the kind of, the serious, like, oh, stop messing around, Valerian. Like, uh, <laughs> I, it kind of like, I think, like, do you know, like a bit like the Evangeline Lily role in Ant-Man? <laughs> yeah. Like I do like I do like that character and I like Evangeline Lilly in that film, but it does feel a little bit like Paul Rudd's goofy and he's having fun and she's like, no, sort your shit out and do like yeah, she's she's, she's, she's like capable the of having character. yeah. Whereas Loreline's capable of having just as much fun as Valeria and she's capable of of kicking ass just as much as he, as he does. Mm-hmm. And there is there's a couple of moments, particularly in the final act, where we cut back to Loreline and she's just whooping on this guy. <laughs> uh, like just like we just cut back there's one cutback to her where literally the cutback is her punching him six times in the face and mm-hmm. then like br- brushing off her knuckles and then starting again and um I it was something I really liked about the film and I thought that we don't we don't see it often enough in, in these kind of Yeah, movies. and I mean like I've seen people criticizing like the gender politics of the movie, and I think people who are doing that are cherry picking specific instances to support a reading of the film that is unfair. Because I, I think, inf- like, the thing that I think is fair is that Valerian gets a lot more of the action in terms of being out there on his own. Like he he has maybe. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. 
At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Three or four set pieces that are just his. And then she has one of her own and shares a couple of others. And like, there is a slight imbalance there. But at the same time, I think in terms of how the characters are treated, it's about as equal as it can realistically get. Like, it's all kind of like she as a character is a very sort of Buffy-esque character in that she is funny and interesting and feminine without being objectified. Uh, with the possible exception of the spacesuit with breasts. Uh, I uh, I think the film definitely wants you to look at Cara Delevingne and go, wow, she's gorgeous. Um, yeah, but also cool and competent does... and funny. Yeah, I, I, it, 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 it certainly doesn't have the Margot Robbie and Suicide Squad no. vibe to me. Like, there is a shot where I think she gets off the, like, She's, in fact, it might even be the shot where she's introduced. She's wearing a, a swimsuit and you kind of track her from behind. And there's def- there definitely is an arse shot. Um, but it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that's what the, that what, that's what the movie's doing for the majority. I think it's, compl- I, I, I think the movie has complicated gender politics, <laughs> especially, especially given the, the Rihanna, Rihanna scene. character. Yeah. yeah. Where Rihanna's kind of big scene is, she is uh, what's 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 she called? Um, uh, a she, glamour, a glamour, a glamour. Yeah. I think who is kind of an alien who can transform into any other, any other creature, any other form. And to begin with, she is in a, it's in this area called Pleasure Alley, and she is, um, which I got definite AI vibes from. <laughs> um, it it feels like a mashup of a bunch of sci-fi that Luke, Luke Besson <laughs> yeah, seen. Yeah, I got I got Blade Runner from it. <laughs> yeah, and how, how? But how can I make this like? How can I make this like a um a movie you've seen already, but really up the ante visually, and maybe not in terms of quality, but in terms of like just throwing ideas out there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so Rihanna does this kind of striptease. Well, it's not a striptease, is it? It's kind of like a burlesque routine. Yeah, where she is changing outfits completely from moment to moment so she's like a maid and a nurse and she's got kind of like i mean i felt like i learned more about luke besson than i wanted to know during that sequence yeah 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 i I can't tell you i didn't enjoy it (laughs) (laughs) it's i mean she's a very attractive woman yeah and and also like i i thought it was a share i thought rihanna was actually quite good in that obviously she's basically doing her like a Rihanna stage show for that moment, but like the the brief bits where she gets to actually act after that, I was like, oh, Rihanna's yeah, she can actually sell the emotion of the like character who is sort of getting a taste of freedom for the first time, but also a bit scared by it. And then there's you know the sadness where she gets sort of shuffled off at the end. Yeah, uh, the the way that she is disposed of, her character is disposed of. It's like. 
it feels like almost like they're going, oh, we, we want this character around, and then uh, it, actually it's not going to be convenient for her to tag along at the end. Yeah. You you think maybe they could find a way to shuffle her off where mm-hmm. she doesn't have to join them on the mission, and maybe like Valerian goes, and there, thank you for getting us to here. If you turn left at the end of the corridor, <laughs> you'll find freedom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, she turns into a pile of dust instead. Yeah. Um, and after having, she basically has to. Rihanna has to give a voice performance after that. She becomes like a blue blue jelly kind of alien for the majority of the time she's on screen or she or is she, or she's either like impersonating someone else. Yep. Yeah. Uh so yeah, I can understand I can understand how people would criticize the gender politics of the film. I actually think the action is is a little bit more balanced um than you know, I, di- I didn't think it was hugely imbalanced. I thought that... Particularly the fact that there is a solid, like, 15, 20 minutes in the mid- middle of the film where Dane DeHaan's just unconscious and Cara Delevingne's going off and doing her own stuff. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of tough to think of another film, or genre film, certainly, where that is a consideration. Like, obviously, you get your sort of female action leads, like Atomic Blonde or whatever. But can you imagine a Marvel film cutting away from what is notionally the title hero to give say Scarlet Witch a 20 minute sequence in the middle like no you cannot well I mean that that's 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 essentially what you're hoping Ant-Man and the Wasp will be yeah a, a, <laughs> film, that, a film that balances those Ooh. two characters fairly and doesn't give all of the action to uh to Paul Rudd but actually after seeing the poster that Evangeline uh the picture that Evangeline Lilly posted on Twitter last week um where she looks absolutely ripped um, I think it makes more sense to give her the action scenes than it does Paul. <laughs> I mean, it, it did in the first film, but they didn't do it. So yeah, we'll see. We'll see. That was written by noted, uh, not very good at writing female characters, Edgar Wright. Uh, whereas this time, Peyton Reed will be giving that character just reward from word go. We hope <laughs> Edgar bad writer and Peyton good reader. <laughs> Solid gag, James. Yep. Solid gag. <laughs> <laughs> um, should we actually talk about the plot of the movie, which I've... I would say is is the um, this is the bit of the film that is not good. <laughs> you don't need to care about or like. That's the thing I like most about this film is that it gets sort of two hours in and then goes, I guess we should tell you what all that was about. And then it yeah. stops for 15, 20 minutes to tell you the story of the film you just watched. It's amazing. Is that I was like, I realised that I was an hour in, and what I knew about the film was that Valerian and Lorelai knew that something was going on that wasn't quite right. They didn't know what that was. They didn't know who it had anything to do with, and they didn't know what they were trying to achieve, save for the two of them wanting to be together while they were doing it. So, like the the obstacles that they overcome in this in in this film are essentially. Like, they're sent out on a mission to recover a MacGuffin at the start of the film. That's before we find out... That's after the first two uh, different opening sequences (laughs) that they don't feature in. So we're literally kind of like three set pieces into the movie and a MacGuffin has been recovered. We then get to the City of a Thousand Planets where they are then asked to escort... Clive frickin' Owen, James! Where's... (laughs) Yeah, I, I like. I, I was going to myself. Where's Clive Owen been? 
I can't, I can't. I was trying to remember the last thing that I'd seen Clive Owen in. Like, I think it was the year when he was like in Duplicity in the International, like in the same year, which might have been like 2011. I was like, where's he been? The answer to where he's been was on TV with Steven Soderbergh in The Nick, which I didn't watch. Um, but it occurred to me, I was like, A, I miss Clive Owen, and B, that dude's aged. <laughs> yes, um, yes he has. But I, but he, I, I, I really enjoyed him in this. I thought he was, he was kind of uh, perfect casting for what they wanted to do. Um, and we kind of, again, like the film, there's not much mystery about whether he's a good dude or a bad dude. Because he's like the head of the humans. But the first thing we do, we see him doing, essentially, is torturing one of the the uh, idyllic planet's aliens from the start of the movie. Who, we know they're good guys because they can't possibly be bad guys. All they love is pearls and and seashells. So we know that, <laughs> we know that Clive Owen's a wrong-un. We just don't know why he's a wrong-un. And then... The film is just literally Clive Owen gets gets kidnapped by the by the blue alieny people from the start because supposedly it's presumably connected to the fact that he's been torturing one of one of their kind. Um, <laughs> but then the, the like the next hour of the film is just Valerian and Loreline losing each other a couple of times and finding each other a couple of times, <clears throat> and then they go kind of like out of the blue almost like oh and we've kind of figured it out haven't we that like it has to do with that dream that you had at the start of the film valerian because valerian had dreamed the destruction the of destruction. the idyllic planet yeah yeah and valerian's like oh yeah i think i've got the princess's soul inside me <laughs> and they're like yes you have now let us explain everything that you just saw like in that opening shot how does he figure that out by the way I think that, don't they say something like, our daughter chose you, and then he's like, I knew there was someone inside me or something, and you no, go, but she, was, what? Yeah, but, no, but, uh, like, uh, already before they find those aliens, Cara Delevingne says, what do you mean you've got another woman inside you? I think he, so, like, I think he just remembers just, the pearl from the dream, and then he kind of says, like, it feels like there's someone in here with me. Yeah, does the, does Rihanna's glamour help him figure that out, maybe? I can't, I, I thought... Because she kind of has to share his body a little bit to, yeah, to, yeah. It, the, the plot is really nonsensical, and it turns out that Clive Owen was responsible for the destruction of their planet, and they are now trying to rebuild like a VR version of their planet inside a spaceship. Yeah, it's like a giant holodeck. In. Yeah, um, but the, I, 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 the. For me, the film really grinds to a halt in the last 20, 25 minutes when they explain <laughs> everything. And the last action sequence is the least interesting one in the entire movie. Yeah, because it's, it's just shoot- people shooting at each other. Yeah. A- apart from when Cara Delevingne is wailing on... Uh, <laughs> which she's wailing on Clive Owen, which is tons of fun. Um, <laughs> but yeah, the plot, the plot really doesn't make any sense. So what, for me, you end up getting out of this film in terms of enjoyment is just looking at these crazy like worlds and places and scenes that Luke Besson has created and then the stuff that he decides to do within them and I thought the action sequences were until that last one incredibly inventive the first one in particular where Mm -hmm. they're sent down to this planet to get this uh, it's the replicator from the 
Avatar Planet at the start, and which is like a cute little animal, and there's like some shady deal going down. And it turns out that they're on, so they're on a planet where there is it's it's a desert like planet, um, which again you could have Star Wars comparisons, but like once you actually get into that world and see what Luke Besson's doing with it, it doesn't it couldn't feel further from a <laughs> Star Wars desert planet like it's not Tatooine, um, and and then there's this action sequence where. Cara Delevingne and a bunch of the guys from the Federation that they're working with are kind of doing this stuff in the background, kind of like taking out guards and stuff to allow Valyrian to get in to do the thing he wants to do. Except this world is also also like a VR world where tourists can visit a, a virtual reality marketplace well, and buy loads of items. Well, no, it's not virtual reality. It's, it's well, What is it? It's yeah, that's... dimensionally shifted. So... yeah. It exists in the same space, but on a different, like, you know, quantum frequency or whatever. And they have VR goggles that let them see into the sort of reality beyond our reality. And also boxes that let them sort of interact with it, interact with it by reaching through and, you know, being half in their world and half in ours. And... It's brilliant because it means that you have essentially an action sequence that unfolds over two planes of reality at the same time where you can have Dane DeHaan in incredible peril inside this kind of quantum shifted <laughs> reality at the same time as Cara Delevingne is just like casually interacting with him on the normal plane of reality <laughs> and kind of cutting between the two like seamlessly and I thought the geography of the scene was incredible that that like I kind of always knew where I was on this world and what was happening. Um, and the juxtaposition of the threat from one moment to being visible to not being visible the next moment. And the fact that there are threats on both planes of reality. Mm-hmm. And then the people from one plane are able to send, like they send a monster out after them onto, into kind of the normal <laughs> plane as well. Well, that's the and thing, because it's a marketplace, is... there's the ability to sort of get objects from one plane to the other. So yeah. they, they shove their monster through there. <laughs> I was just like jaw to the ground watching this sequence going, what is going on? This is nuts. And because it's a marketplace, you've got your kind of, your like weird lots of different alien races interacting and you've got um crazy stuff going on in the background in this marketplace but you've also got the kind of the the Dane DeHaan Cara Delevingne who turn up to this who turn up to this mission in kind of like vacation <laughs> clothes. yeah yeah which is which is really fun and just that the whole the visuals of the sequence and the facts that it is constantly surprising you and constantly kind of like tripping you up by with what you're watching between these two planes of existence i just thought was like it was what i needed kind of at the start of this film to get me in because i'm kind of watching the early stuff with like an eyebrow raised going like this is nuts but i don't like it's it looks bizarre (laughs) but i'm not kind of in yet and then when we meet valerian and loreline i'm like okay here are two actors who I'm not really convinced in playing two characters that I'm not that interested by. 
And then the, that action sequence started, and I went, "Okay, right, okay, now you poked me, Luke Besson. <laughs> I'm, I'm probably going to. You're probably going to have my attention until the end of this film." Well, like that's Luke Besson's thing as well, isn't it? Like his action sequences are always like have amazing kind of sense of the physical space around them, and this is like him going like, "I'll show you just how good I am," because like you get things like Leon and the Fifth Element or whatever, where he has these sort of very like in Leon, there's that the stuff at the end where he's in his apartment and mm. it's using the the space that the action is in very tightly and then in the fifth element you have them like fighting around the cruise ship or whatever and that's kind of considering how big the space is like you you always know where people are and what they're doing and where they're going and it's like that is in itself quite a feat and this is him going like well i can do all that and this as well and it's like that's what he's really talented at yeah um sorry i was reading something on uh (laughs) on wikipedia at the same time um yeah and, and i think you can say a similar thing about the later action sequence where valerian and rihanna go to save Loreline from this kind of weird alien race who so <laughs> I'm just going to describe this from start to finish because it's bonkers <laughs> Re- uh, Laura- Cara Delevingne has just saved Valyrian Loreline's just saved Valyrian and then there are these pretty butterflies floating <laughs> in front of them and Loreline touches one of these floating shiny butterflies which then zips her up into the air because it's like a fishing hook and i don't know what these these aliens who are fishing were fishing for because it doesn't seem like this is an area that many people normally hang out in <laughs> but they catch akara delavine and they then take her into this area and then when valerian follows he's like oh crap i can't get into that area without creating a major diplomatic in- uh, incident and he's got like a little computer thing that he talks to, and the computer says, "Oh, w- uh, why didn't like why didn't you try and find a glamour?" So he's like, "Okay, I'm gonna go and try and find this glamour," which he goes into Pre- Pleasure Alley and finds, and that's Rihanna. We didn't talk about how he finds her though. He finds her by meeting a character named Jolly the Pimp, <laughs> played by Ethan Hawke. Ah, <laughs> oh, he's great, isn't it, James? <laughs> uh, it, it, like. As performances go, that's up there with uh, Jake Gyllenhaal in Octa. It feels like it. It feels like a Fifth Element character. Yeah, yeah. He's he he's. I mean, I I, I was it. It took me maybe like thirty seconds to figure out that it definitely was even Hawk <laughs> as well. So he's got like a cowboy hat and glasses and weird makeup and, and... a crazy accent. I mean, yeah. it is kind of it. My feeling about uh, Valerian is that people went to Luke Besson like how about we do and before hearing what they'd proposed Luke Besson went sure and that is very much <laughs> Ethan Hawke's performance and this is like can I do it like in Luke Besson going yeah whatever <laughs> do you want me to go bigger yeah yeah sure <laughs> do it let's go do bigger. what you like we've got 200 million like let's spend it <laughs> So Valyrian then recruit, rec- recruits the glamour so he can go into this other area where he can't go in as a human. Uh, and so Rihanna then kind of jumps on top of him and, and engulfs him inside her body. 
She's called Bubble, by the way. I've just remembered. Um, <laughs> slash read on Wikipedia. Um, and she kind of engulfs his body and turns into... A, a, and, a, and transforms the two of them, who then begin walking as one creature, into one of the aliens that's kidnapped Lorelai. And they, then... they look kind of like Admiral Akbar slash the things from uh, Oddworld, the PlayStation game. Y- yep, solid. Solid. Um, and... We we're then we're cutting back to Loreline, who's been she's kind of been paraded by this weird <laughs> one of these aliens is like showing her different clothing items and kind of like beckoning her to choose one of them. In I think maybe the funniest sequence in the movie, James. Did you did you like this? Yeah, yeah. I I thought it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> and uh, I thought it was uh. I thought it was Cara Delevingne at her best as well because she just oh, kind yeah, of yeah, gets yeah. she just kind of gets to I think probably play herself which is just like I am so above this and I'm kind of like <laughs> gonna sarcastically react to you like why why am I having to spend time with you why are you wasting my time <laughs> and I, I and but then like responding to these to these items of clothing going what do you want from me and then eventually is dressed up in this like. It's a white dress, isn't it? Yeah, it's a kind of wedding dress prom outfit type thing. Yeah, and then this enormous hat. This enormous big white hat. And you're going... And, and that in and of itself looks insane. <laughs> She's then paraded in this queue towards the king of this alien race, presumably, who is kind of being brought different items of food which he's then like taking a bite of and then going like, no, no, get rid of it. Say, give me something else. Obviously not speaking English. This is all in kind of gobbledygook alien language. Um, and Valerian is pretending to be one of the people bringing the food. Yes. Yeah. So he arrives, his his item of food is rejected and then he turns around and sees, oh, Lorelai's at the back of this queue and she gets the front of the queue and she's holding like a, like a, a, a fruit, a, like a melon yeah, or like a, a fruit. fruit. Yeah. Yeah. And you think she's about to hand this fruit to the alien, except the alien is this, then handed this kind of like can opener kind of device. Well, no, no, no. First, she does hand the fruit to him, but he squeezes it onto the top of the hat. Yes, the top of the hat, which you then see her head is protruding from the top of the hat. And the top of the hat is not a hat. It's a plate. And <laughs> she's about to have her skull opened up and her brains eaten out. Valerian and Bubble realise this and then presumably decide, screw the major diplomatic incident, shoo everyone, and then there's another major action sequence. Except, again, it's kind of found a way to exist on kind of two planes of reality at the same time. Because you've got Valyrian to begin with inside Bubble and doing this kind of stuff. That There's those two characters who are together as one person. I think eventually they split, don't they? And then yeah. it becomes like all three of them fighting these aliens at the same time. Um, but I just thought it was nuts that you had these two characters in the same body talking to each other, <laughs> disguised as an alien, where one of them was a different alien, one of them was a human, and then and then you get the big the big fight. Because they had, was I it? Just thought it was fantastic when one of them was talking as well. It was like the lips moved when it was Valerian, but not when it was Bubble or something. I, On the I character, like I'm there was a really weird separation like that. But yeah, yeah. Um, and so they have a big fight and eventually manage to escape, and that's the point at which Bubble is randomly killed. 
um, she'd like, oh, I think I got shot during the fight. <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I don't remember. Did does she, do we see her get shot? I think I think something? we do. Like she gets kind of grazed in the arm, and apparently that's enough. Yeah. 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 Um. Yeah, and then and then it kind of, it's kind of after that that it all gets bogged down in all of the uh, all of the plot stuff. Um. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 strange. I like I think it's these these action sequences that are that are so. Uh, that are so unique and individual and then these moments of kind of absurd comedy within it I would actually say if I had to com- compare the film to anything else more than Star Wars I would compare it to Jupiter Ascending the Wachowski's <laughs> film from a couple of years ago mm-hmm. which kind of felt like it had a similar vibe to this probably had two bigger more charismatic stars um, but yeah do, do, have you seen Jupiter Ascending? Yes I have yeah, do, do, do you kind of get the comparisons there? I mean, in, oh, in absolutely, a way... yeah. Like as soon as the trailer started coming out, I was like, "This is probably going to be this year's Jupiter Ascending." But I think, in I think I kind of enjoyed this more. Oh, uh, Jupiter Ascending is great. It's great, <laughs> James. I would say. On yeah, yeah, yeah. I agree, great. but it's, I think Valerian's better. It's really great. <laughs> I would. I'd almost like to see these two films mashed up. Um. You know, it's, it's 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 like two examples of maverick directors going off and spending a lot of money on visually intriguing stuff. Both of <laughs> both wanting to do their kind of like unique twist on a on a sci-fi movie. I think uh, <laughs> I wouldn't have thought I'd be able to say this. I think Jupiter Ascending's plot makes more sense, and I think it's more interesting. Um, but yeah, at least this doesn't have any kind of vaguely incestuous or bestiality-esque wolf on human action yeah like the both both films have like a massive density of weird sci-fi ideas and that's what sort of powers them through all the other stuff that is bad Hmm. we've mentioned we've mentioned dahan and delavine a bit um what do you think of the the relationship that kind of anchors the movie um what like because it's it's strange that it's set up that I wasn't quite sure whether they were supposed to be together, but kind of like they're kind of together in that they're hooking up, but that that it's not serious and long term. But then Valerian suddenly decides that he wants to marry her. Well, like or whether or whether they're not together at all and it's on off. And rather than even just like starting slow, Valerian's like, "Hey, no, you're great. We should get married." No, see, I kind of got the impression that he. Like, as we're told, he was a womanizer, but really he's in love with her, but she's his subordinate, so he can't really do anything about it. And this is kind of that, him finally sort of throwing that to the wind. But it's weird because it feels like we come in at the end of a, in any case, like, they are, they have been friends and colleagues for a a substantial amount of time before we meet them. So hmm. we we're at the point where he's in love with her. She doesn't believe he's in love with her because he is apparently a womanizer. Um and she's not interested in him because he's she's like no you're a fuckboy and he's like well marry me and I'll prove it. Hmm. And it's like that feels like the end point of a long a lot of stuff we haven't seen and that in itself is an odd choice. But like as it yeah. is like I get 
I get that they're codependent um, just from the way that it's like she rescues yeah, her, yeah. he rescues him like that. I completely believe that. I think maybe they could have reshuffled the marriage proposal to the end of the film. When once it felt earned. Yeah, or, or like, I, I, I don't know, maybe just sold us a bit more on the backstory or so or, or just made it a little bit more explicit what was what was going on with them yeah um i think what i ended up liking about this and like i said i don't think that dahan and delavine have a huge amount of chemistry together and i think it probably works that they end up being separated for so much of the film <laughs> that you kind of like you because the characters are constantly fighting to get back to each other and to work together you buy that they want to be together yeah and you also you also buy that like they're very close to being in the point where they are characters who should be spending their lives together but maybe just it's kind of like it's like you say they they've got that last little bit of character development to do to get to that point um but what I liked was it's it's this kind of it's this slightly snarky relationship where they both kind of bite at each other slightly. And again, I think you could you can make the Han Solo layer comparison or whatever. <laughs> but the what it reminded me of, and I watched recently on um, Netflix, I watched Terminator Genesis. Um, <laughs> have you seen that movie? Yes, I have. So I would say that is genuinely the worst movie I've seen in the past <laughs> two or three years. I couldn't, but like, it took me ages to get around to watching it. Uh, but I didn't know it was that bad, you know? Um, and so then, so I'm watching it and going, I, I, well, I, <laughs> Amelia Clark and Jai Courtney, I think, neither great actors, but not a million miles different to Cara Delevingne and Dame DeHaan in terms of quality. And they're doing that sniping at each other in a film where we we know already that they're predestined to be in love and to be together and yeah. that, that has to ha- that has to happen. And like that the film's going, oh well, but what's happening is they're actively fighting against that. But they're they're so at each other from word go that every scene they spend spend together, you're like God, this is just the most toxic screen chemistry that I've ever seen. Because not only do you not work on screen together, not only are both of your characters badly written and horrible to spend time with individually, but you're... uh, You honestly make me want to click the X at the top of my screen every time you're talking to each other. Like, I hate to start watching a movie and not finishing it, and it was the closest I got to that in a long time. The first <laughs> half hour of Terminator Genesis, I was just like biting my fist. It was <laughs> so bad. But you know that kind of like, and it's almost like that cl- that kind of um, late nineties, early noughties. Um, uh, in fact, I would almost say like the back end of the rom com before the rom com died. <laughs> these these kind of parade of. Um, like it probably it normally starring one of if not both of Gerard Butler and Catherine Heigl Oof. or maybe Jennifer Aniston you know like the the rom-coms where the two characters like hate each other and then realize at the end that actually they love each other and they're meant for each other and sometimes that can be done well um 
I think the more the more classic take is to do the these characters are together, like it's all go- it's going great. Oh no, something's bad happened. Bad happened, but it's a misunderstanding, and they'll reunite at the end. <laughs> Whereas the the ones that I hated were the sniping each other and sniping at each other and sniping at each other, and then oh, we actually realised that we're perfect for each other because because <laughs> we're that. both awful. Yes, yeah. um, and I think Valyrian sidesteps that really nicely. Is what I what I mean to say <laughs> in that like the 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 relationship feels combative, but it feels combative in a playful way. In a way that I yeah, in a playful way, and I think in a way that if you had two actors who were stronger, would come across in a kind of like um, it had almost come off as like sexy from word go. You know, like it'd be like. It 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 feel like it was almost like a like a little sexual tussle that they were having, you know. Like, mm-hmm. Well, there's um, that opening and scene, and a, like where and a battle of wits where you're introduced with them. They are literally like having this kind yes. of semi nude back and forth wrestling, which is absurd. <laughs> yeah, which is absolutely absurd. <laughs> Feels like it needed to be choreographed a little bit more smoothly to uh, to to come off the way yeah. that best. But was like intending. that's their relationship, isn't it? It's like one has the upper hand, the other has the upper hand, but actually they're both playing with each other. Yeah. Like, and the thing that I like about their relationship is, like, the moment they're separated, their pretense of like, will they, won't they, is dropped. Like, especially Loreline, as soon as Valerian's in trouble, like, her kind of too cool persona drops and she's like, I have to go and rescue him now. Cause I, think I, bo- need- I think both of them, especially the way when you see Valerian walking through Pleasure Alley the first time, you can see how out of his comfort zone and how, mm-hmm. like, obviously uncomfortable he is. And again, the kind of, like, the the lengths to which each of them will go during the film to get back to the other one. Yeah. Um, it's like I said, I bought the relationship as long as they weren't talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I mean, that's, again, that's why the movie should have been called Valerian and Loreline, because then you would have been focusing on that and not the kind of surrounding mystery to any Which extent. ultimately doesn't really matter and kind of, like, they could, ex- they could explain how it all fits together at the end and you're like, sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, why not? Just, just, just go back to Kara punching Clive Owen. That's I'm, and I'm fine with that. I mean, that. it is um, it is kind of interesting to have those two actors sort of leading the film when neither of them is notionally capable of it. Like hmm. Cara Delevingne, especially. I haven't seen her in everything she's done, but I kind of think back to Suicide Squad, where she gave probably the worst performance of the year. Yeah. And like you just wonder like why why did they think these two were their leads? Like Dane DeHaan is not in any way a kind of traditional masculine romantic lead. Cara Delevingne is not in any way the kind of like she she's classically attractive, sure, but she like in terms of personality and behavior like it's not a romantic lead. And like there's no desperate, that... like I kind of think it's sort of like ironic millennial romance in space yeah yeah i can buy that and like that's interesting but it's not something people who aren't on tumblr are gonna love this is though this is as this is the best that i've seen Cara Delevingne uh, and, and dane dehan for that matter like i i enjoyed him in this film as a kind of out of his depth secret agent than i have in anything else i'll say that much for him 
certainly I mean, is, I... is no amazing spider-man 2 where he was a greased up slime ball who i hated i still i still think he's great in chronicle i don't think he's yeah. uh i don't think he's a massively talented actor and the more stuff that i've seen him in since i've kind of like uh soured on him but i again i haven't seen I haven't seen anything that like everything that he's in. There's there's a bunch of gaps in my in my day. Yeah, I was going to say so. Sarah, who we were going to have on this, is a I know is a big fan of A Cure for Wellness, so I'm going to go and watch that off the back of because I didn't watch it because I was like, why would I watch a Dane DeHaan movie? But no, I, but I'm, now I'm, I'm going to go back and see. Fascinated by, well, I mean it's uh it's a Gore Verbinski movie, isn't it? So <laughs> I, I I'm not saying that I I think Gore Verbinski is probably the best director of bad movies in hollywood in that like he's made a bunch of stuff that i don't like but i'm always like oh that's but it was directed well though like the the pirates pirates films i don't particularly like but i mean especially the first one is is really great mouse hunt is a flat-out masterpiece rango's terrific i i'd, I'd kind of watch uh i'd kind of watch anything that gorbabinski does so yeah I'm interested in that as well. Uh, for any for anyone that is interested in seeing Dane DeHaan and uh, Cara Delevingne on screen together again, uh, they're both in Tulip Fever. Interestingly, okay, yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think the the relationship just about works. Certainly works more than the actual main sci-fi plot of the movie. Um, but I realised we kind of we we've been talking about kind of like the individual action sequences, the individual kind of like oh ten minutes to go and achieve this goal, being the more interesting moments of the film, and we haven't talked about Cara Delevingne's kind of one that she does on her own, which is nuts. <laughs> it's it's it's, it's uh, I mean they all are, but this one. So there are like three little platypus aliens, right? Yeah. Is that the best way to describe them? Who kind of have all the information in this, in in Alpha, the city of a thousand planets, and they, they're kind of like trying to sell Loreline information, and she eventually buys some information, and they're like, oh, right, well, if you want to find Valyrian, if you want to find out where how to get to the area where you think he is, you need to go down and see this guy in a spaceship, or, or this guy in a submarine ship. Because that, like within the city of a thousand planets, there is like an underwater area. I just, I don't know how on. I, do, do you did you figure out how Alpha is constructed? No, I'm. I think it intentionally defies any sort of any any ge- comprehension. Yeah, comprehensible geography. Yeah. So there's an underwater bit, and she goes down on the ship with who was playing the guy in the who was playing the ship guy. Uh. Voiced oh voiced by John Goodman. I think. Yeah. A, a pirate captain in the galaxy's most wanted criminal. Yeah. Elizabeth Debicki's a voice in this movie. <laughs> there are cameos from Matthew Kasovitz, Louis Leterrier, <laughs> Olivia Megaton. Rut- lots of, lots of the, uh, yeah, the Europa Corps uh, directors. <laughs> um, but yeah, so he go- she, she goes down on this ship where there are like giant whale-like creatures... Each whale has a jellyfish that is like feeding on an area of the whale. Yes. Am I getting this right? I just yeah. It's, what is it? There. It's just insane. They're are they taking like psychic runoff or something? Yes, it's something. It's, there are like psychic whales, and they're taking like the they're feeding on the on the forts or something. Yeah. So <laughs> they 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 steal one of the jellyfish and get back up to shore. 
And then the platypus creatures tell Cara Delevingne that she has to put her head up inside the jellyfish. Like, to the point where the jellyfish is on her neck. And then she will be able to psychically see where Dane DeHaan is. And there's like a minute long sequence with Cara Delevingne with a jellyfish on her head. And there's like a joke as well about, she says, I have to put my, I have to put my head in its mouth. Head in this jellyfish's mouth. And they're like, oh, it's not its mouth. So she puts her head up inside this jellyfish, which visually, again, is just nuts. And then she spends a minute in real time figuring out figuring out where Dane DeHaan is. And I think this is the Jacob's Ladder mo- moment in the movie where she stays in it for too long and clearly her thoughts get fried at that point <laughs> and she imagines everything that follows because it just does, it doesn't make sense, does it, James? It can't possibly have unfolded the way that the rest I mean, of the movie what does. What they say is that if she's in there too long the jellyfish will feed on her memories and she'll forget stuff. So it's possible she forgot that Valerian was a womanizing dick. (laughs) No, but she teaches him by the end of the movie about like being not a complete dick. And it's like you say, yeah, he's a womanizing dick, but the (laughs) only, the only woman, the only woman that he encounters in the movie is the glamour played by Rihanna. And he basically immediately pulls a gun on her and says, take me where you want to go. Oh no, no, don't get me wrong. I enjoyed your show. Your show is great. Like you're fantastic. But take me where I need to go. He does everything he can to not have sex with the sex worker. Yeah. And, and also this, I mean, I guess they just don't encounter that many people. Because I was going to say there's not that many women in this world. But I guess they're kind of like, you've got, you've, you've got, the. it should be said the Avatar aliens are very feminine. Like there is, or, or there is a, there's a kind of an androgynous quality to they them. They are super is... androgynous because like they talk about one being the king or the emperor or something. And it's like the voice is clearly female and the features are broadly female. Right, so Elizabeth Devicki voiced Emperor Haban Limai. Yeah. And I think that might be the, the the king character almost. The Yeah. But it's not clear See, whether they have any kind of male female dynamic at all. They are all essentially female. But there's there's definitely well, but then they refer to like one character as their daughter, so there's definitely some acknowledgement of gender. But it's it is interesting at the very least. I was like I was intrigued by what was going on with those characters, like, and what what Besson was was trying to say with them, anyway. Yeah. Um, yeah, but there isn't there is. A, I was thinking there isn't that many female characters, but the, it, weirdly, for a movie that's this big, like the characters, there's there's not that. It's not like. It's not like Star Wars where you'd be like after this film you could set up a little trading card app where everyone can like. Get obsessed about this character who was in this part of the movie for five minutes or whatever, or or this race or this world. It feels like there's 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 stuff everywhere, but not that many characters that actually no. that actually pop up for them to interact with. No, it's kind of notable if you look at the cast list. It kind of it very quickly goes from named characters to sort of guy who was in background of a scene or whatever. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, is there is there anything else you wanna you wanna address? You wanna talk about James before we draw this chat to a close? Uh, because is there anything more you wanna you wanna tell us about the comic that uh that from 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 reading what you did of this, does this feel like a faithful adaptation? Does it feel like a good adaptation? I mean, the problem is right. Valerian became incredibly popular in France or whatever, and is like hugely respected, but 
it's kind of acknowledged that the first sort of nine or ten volumes are sort of lower quality and it kind of gets good in the middle um right. and the characters especially are not fleshed out and don't become themselves until well down the line like they they are adapting from stuff that i haven't read um and basically i've only read the first volume and that is a super wordy uh incredibly it, it would be like saying you know does the spider-man of amazing 15 amazing fancy 15 like is tom holland that character and it's like mm. no but they come from the same place like there's a right. shitload of develop- development that happens after and from what i've read of valerian and what i've seen of the movie i can barely establish like aside from the visual element i can barely recognize what's going on in there it's like if nothing else valerian looks nothing like dane dehan does <laughs> like he he's basically an asterisk version of uh Tom Cruise, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, like Cara Delevingne and Dane DeHaan feel like kids, whereas in the in the comic they they're kind of grown ups. Uh, okay, cool. Well, I think that brings our Valerian chat to a close then. But I mean, James, I, I'd say we we both recommend going and seeing this in the cinemas, oh, right? For sure. I certainly wouldn't recommend watching it on TV. <laughs> Now I I thought it was I thought it was a treat. I didn't need a sequel to it or anything, and I I feel bad for Luke Besson that it has failed to the extent that it has failed, and it's obviously not a great sign for original movies. Having said that, it tanked at the box office on the same weekend in the US that Dunkirk made all of the money, which was an original movie. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe maybe programmed at the wrong time or whatever i i I don't know i don't know it's just a shame how shame how badly it did yeah for luke besson for european cinema for original content i mean is there still a chance it could do great business in china and india i don't think so (laughs) i think it's i think it's it's dead oh well i mean the thing about the thing is luke besson is a super interesting director and like everything he does you watch it and go, well, there's something interesting and good about that, even if the movie uh, itself isn't. I will not always agree with that. I think the only film that he's made where I didn't feel like that was Joan of Arc, but that was during his like, I'm gonna put uh I'm gonna put Miljovic in everything, period. Which was probably his least creatively interesting period. Yeah, I don't know. I I he he made the lady and the family and the Arthur and the Invisibles trilogy. Okay, Arthur um, and the Invisibles. In, yeah, since, fair enough. But since his comeback, um, but I mean, uh, hopefully he can continue producing as well uh, some of these like low budget <laughs> films that go on to become hits. I do have a feeling his next film will be very cheap. Yeah, well, Lucy Two is apparently on the sk- on on the slate. Maybe, maybe that'll, maybe that'll. Still I mean, happen. for Say. a time, I really hoped that the that Valerian was going to essentially be Fifth Element too. And I still, it's... I still think I would rather have seen that movie. But 
Yeah. Yeah, uh, I'm I'm happy with what we got, and I think you should all go to the cinema and watch it this weekend, unless there's something better on. In which case, go watch Dunkirk. <laughs> <laughs> but but definitely see double bill it. Double I mean, bill the it. thing is, if you don't go and see it this weekend, you're never going to get a chance to see it in the cinema again, and it, it's a film that deserves a cinema viewing. I double billed this with the big sick, and I had a great old evening at the cinema. <laughs> uh, go. So you should go watch that as well. There's loads of good films out at the moment. Go watch them. If all you're guys. in the UK, go and see Shin Godzilla immediately, because you've just about got time to see it in the cinema. And that is, that is the best film I've seen this year. So we've given a bunch of recommendations there, James. <laughs> do you do you have a comic book recommendation for me based on Valerian that hopefully after what you just told me about Valerian isn't Valerian? Uh, if I had been smart, I would have thought of something that was like Valerian, but not. Um, but I'm not smart. <laughs> so? Uh, you're making me wish I'd thought of something that was similar to Valerian, but not now. And I can't, <laughs> off the top of my head, I can't do it. So is it just Valerian? Yeah, I mean, I think. <laughs> part of me wants... Can I read, shall I just read like the last ever volume? I was going to say... I would, like, you've got a couple of options, which I'll read the first volume, which I've done and would not recommend because it's a very wordy 60s comic that has half-formed version of the characters. Um, I think volume two is the one that the title of the film is taken from. Um, but I I think volume one is called something like And the Shifting Sands. Uh, volume right. two, I think, is City of a Thousand Planets. Um so if you're going to do anything directly related to the film, it would be that one. Personally, I would say maybe pick something volumes 10 to 20. Just a random, like, I think they're all two-parters by that point. Right. Um, But maybe just pick uh, one of those volumes and see how you feel about it. So basically, find a random volume of Valerian. Yeah, why not? Yeah. Okay, uh, listeners, uh, if you want to read along, uh, I don't know what to tell you. I'll find. <laughs> I'll maybe try and tweet about it from the account or something like that. Decide, Why is it everyone go out and buy a random volume of Valerian and see what you feel like? Yeah, let's, let's compare and contrast. Okay, uh, that's the end of this week's uh, main discussion, though. So we'll move on now to our final section, which is the pitch. And obviously, normally we have Seb and James here competing on this, um, but we're going to do what we did. I think it was about a year ago on our Thor episode where, James, it was just me and you, and we decided we would take each other on in the pitch and get Seb to decide on a winner when he came back on the next episode. So, I've still got a pitch, um, and I, I, I we'll just answer it now. And, uh, yeah, Seb can decide for us a couple of weeks from now who the winner is. And listeners, if you if you want to, I don't know, if you feel strongly one way or the other, tweet Seb, hashtag Team James, hashtag Team Joe, you know, hashtag Team Iron Man. He really likes all, all three of those hashtags. <laughs> he would like you to send it him, I'm fairly sure. There's a good chance he edits that out when he, uh, when he tweets this podcast. Uh, <laughs> James. I'll tell you the pitch, you pitch first, and I will come back with my counter-offer. Go for it. What I want to know is, now that we've seen them both in a number of comic book movies, and I feel not yet in their perfect roles, who would you? which comic book characters would you cast Dane DeHaan and Cara Delevingne in 
to get them they're they're kind of their perfect comic book characters okay um the characters i would like to see them playing are madrox the multiple man and layla miller um they are some mutants from the x-men franchise who appeared in a comic called x factor in which they were part of a team of mutant private investigators um Madrox's power, he's been in the X-Men films already in a kind of background character capacity. His power is um, he can duplicate himself and every duplicate has a slightly different personality, uh, like based off his core personality. Um, And Layla Miller's power is that she knows stuff, which which (laughs) means that she has a lot of exposition in her and it's not immediately clear where it's come from that's kind of the point um so you want to cast cara delavine as someone who de- delivers exposition well not no nah, nah. this is the point like her her role as the person who knows things also involves a lot of having the right action gadgets and stuff at the right time like essentially She's precognitive, but with a caveat, like, the information comes from somewhere and she can't reveal where, and that's part of the mystery. Um, Layla Miller's a really interesting character, and I hope at some point you get to read X-Factor. Okay, well, I'm... James. <laughs> I'm sure you... I'm sure you'll yeah. end up recommending me, uh, <laughs> recommending me those. Um, okay, so I... I, I I, I've gone down a different route because I, I didn't kind of imagine them together or anything like that. Um, Dane DeHaan, I was thinking about, and I was thinking, I would kind of like to see him as a Batman villain, a kind of an Arkham Asylum kind of Batman villain. So kind of maybe playing one of those guys who's, like his Chronicle character, a bit of a dweeb and a bit of a weirdo, but someone who goes kind of like maniacally mad. Uh, I, and I don't think someone like major like you know like the riddler or the joker or anything like that i was thinking more a character like the mad hatter maybe you know <laughs> or maybe maybe go really obscure like the calendar man or uh condiment king condiment king <laughs> no too bad i don't i don't want dan Dan doing the uh the comedy i think i i think i had it right with the mad hatter i'd quite i'd quite like to see him doing that kind of stuff uh, against Batman, uh, Cara Delevingne. I didn't have to think long about um, Emma Frost. I think she she seems like perfect for that role, um, yeah. and I'm sure it would. I'm sure it would annoy internet people in the same way that Wonder Woman, uh, Gal Gadot, not being busty enough for the character. Uh, but let's move away from that being a defining characteristic of Emma Frost, where she is just. I mean, she's like she seems like she has the perfect raised eyebrow for that character. Um, and where she basically, you know, you know, uh, she, I, I, I think that the version of Emma Frost that we saw in X Men First Class, Cara Delevingne, would be more than capable of going directly into that movie, playing that character, um, and being immediately more interesting than January Jones, and maybe write her a slightly more interesting character. <laughs> and I think she could effectively, effectively just play herself. Um. But as Emma Frost, yeah, I mean, you... as an X Men nerd, I would not be upset with that piece of casting. Okay, but that's not important, is it, James? What What's important is whether Seb Patrick is going to be annoyed with that piece of casting. <laughs> uh, so, so again, 
text, uh, tweet Seb, Facebook him, text him, any form of contacts that you. That if you, you want, want to make yeah. If you him. want his email address or phone number, you can come to us. We'll give it out. Yeah, just yeah. Um, so hashtag Team Joe, hashtag Team James, or hashtag Team Iron Man. Any of the three are fine. But that's it for this week's show, James. Uh, how how did you enjoy discussing Valeria? <laughs> it's a film that defies uh, description in many ways, and that makes it quite hard to discuss. Yeah, we definitely we definitely attempted to describe Valerian to you because we are well aware you probably didn't see it. Uh, but it's great, go see it. Um, if you're enjoying the show, then please do subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Player FM, or your podcast app of choice, and you can support us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash cinematic universe. Uh, you can find more episodes of the show at cinematicuniverse.com. Get in touch uh, via Facebook, on Twitter at cine underscore verse. Or send us an email to editorial at cinematicuniverse.com. And I will mention that if you do like us on Facebook and follow us there, kind of all of the articles that go up on the website kind of end up on Facebook straight away now. Um, it's a good way of kind of discovering all of our content if you are a Facebooker. Because we didn't really used to update it that much, and now we definitely have more of a presence. So that's the that's the particular channel I'll give more of a plug this week. <laughs> go like us on Facebook. Uh, get us in your news feeds. Um... But thanks for listening, and we will see you next week. Goodbye. Bye. The silencer makes a whisper of the gunshot. I hold her close until she's gone. I'll never know what she was running from. I'll cash her check in the morning. Cinematic Universe returns in two weeks' time with Sin City. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.